Today's guest is one of the kindest people I know. Angel has been in the competitive distance skateboard scene for over eight years now and has recently been kicking it up a notch in preparation for the 2024 Miami Ultraskate. He had a lot to share about his training practices as well as some insight into the forces that drive him to compete. It goes without saying that we are not health experts and we are not trained in medicine in any way. However, we do have quite a bit of experience when it comes to riding skateboards for long periods of time. So bear that in mind while listening. Everyone is encouraged to do their own research and discuss these things with the larger community. In addition to all this, he also has a pair of wonderful cats who you will probably hear throughout the recording. As always, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Max Frank. Hello and welcome to Skating in Circles. I'm here today with Angel Aldrete. Angel, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Uh, doing fantastic, thank you. First question I always like to ask people is where they're coming from. And last I talked to you, you were moving around a little bit. So where actually are you right now? Um, I'm actually still in the Northern Seattle area. Okay. Although uh, a week from today, uh, I'll probably be hanging out in the Phoenix area. Wow, what a change. I'm checking out. So you're going from the cold, wet northwest to the hot and dry southwest. Very much so, yeah. We're looking forward to uh, the drier skate weather. Very cool, yeah. Um, another question that is kind of ambiguous, but I like to ask it sometimes, just see where people take it to. and. I feel like you might have a good answer to this question. And that is what motivates you? Yeah, I guess in short, uh, I'm kind of a, a competitive skater. I, I really enjoy squaring up with other uh, folks playfully and, um, you know, pushing each other to see how best we can, you know, fight for, for, for the podium. So just pushing each other competitively, but also what motivates me, I, th I think, is just wanting to do my personal best. Having the feeling of, you know, wanting to see what my personal limit is and how I can uh, keep pushing myself further and faster. Yeah. I think it's funny you say, like, you're this really competitive person and whatnot, because I've known you for a few years, for a while now, actually, maybe like eight, like seven years, maybe. It's been a while. Probably. And uh, you're one of the nicest people I've ever met. Right? Oh. <laughs> so like, you're like, oh, I'm really cutthroat. And it's like, okay, my God. Like, okay, like, sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's funny to hear. But also, I, I can see that for sure. Like, when you're out there and uh, competing, like, it seems like you are very much driven by uh, the people around you, you know? Uh, it's fun to hear you say that, you know, you're, you're driven to to be better and to like hit the podium because the po being on the podium is very much you are competing at that point you are fighting against someone right oh yeah and some people take that literally where <laughs> they get real intense about it you know and i like your mentality of of being the nice guy but at the same time being cutthroat in, in the inside I yeah that. i mean i find it very enjoyable to uh to be that cutthroat attitude, you know, while you're racing, while still maintaining a very much a playful uh, perspective. Uh-huh. You still want to, 
compete and try to do your best uh, and, you know, fight, you know, fight for this uh, kind of golden title that's like enticing you like a carrot. <laughs> but it's, it's good to to be aware of like not pushing it so far that you're having this like toxic uh, and maybe unpleasant attitude uh, around others. So it's it's fun to be competitive without it being too much. Yeah. Like you're not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. All right. It is about having fun in the end. Also, this this sport that we're doing, it's it, I feel uh like small enough that when you go to these events, you'll probably see the same skaters again. Most likely you'll, you'll see them at another race and you don't want to create a uh, bad tension between others. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, animosity doesn't really take you anywhere. It's mm-hmm. not like we're boxers, you know, this isn't like some UFC thing, right? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So when was your first time riding a skateboard? I, I've, I've known you for a while, but I don't know the answer to this question. And I'm very curious. Yeah, um, I I think the first time I ever like picked up a board, I think I must have been like first or second year in high school. I think I'm a, I'm kind of a late bloomer considering other people listening in uh, and hearing about their stories. <laughs> I forget what the game is called. It's the um, white elephant or the yeah yeah white elephant, and I was able to. Um, receive a skateboard out of it and it was a short board i don't even remember what kind of board it was but i was kind of pushing around in my hallways and i i realized man skateboarding is hard skateboarding <laughs> is scary so i never actually like was driven with that short board to like keep skating it wasn't until probably like my my middle or uh later years of high school that like I saw longboards and I saw some of my friends or peers riding these boards. And I was like, man, that's kind of a, mm-hmm. a cool way to kind of get around. And my, my very first board that I was able to receive in my collection was an Arbor deck, uh, this pintail board. It was like the bamboo. Um, yeah. And I had fun with that thing. And I remember riding around this uh this uh sidewalks of the school and just like testing out the the boundaries of freedom with this board and being being able to be like wow i can i can go to these like places and i don't have to walk um i think i was like taking the bus so i was like oh it, it makes it so much faster to go from point a to point b right it's funny you you say the arbor bamboo it was like yeah, a pintail. Was a pintail. Yeah, I, I think that was also one of my first boards too that I oh, nice. distance on. <laughs> you like brought back some memories with that. That's really funny. Yeah, I think it was like the shape that like drew me into it. It's like, oh, I, I think uh, at the time I was very much like very inspired by the surf and like mm-hmm. hippie nature. So I was like, man, that shape is so cool. And like want to get around to that safe or that surf uh, style of skating and it, it was a good time it was a, it was able to like introduce me into uh, skateboarding that's really cool all right so given that right you start riding boards you, you're you figure out i can go distance and then did you go out to an event or something like what got you into the scene like as deep as you are now take us down the timeline a little bit i think uh 
traveling from that, um, when I finished high school, I went to Hawaii for some time. I lived in the Big Island. Ooh. And from traveling on the Arbor Board, I was uh, pretty interested in doing like downhill skating. Uh, I was very intrigued by like, oh, go fast, look cool, do slides. Like I want to be that kind of guy. And I don't remember the board off the top of my head, but I remember it was this uh, like the super drop deck type uh-huh. of board. It was like a longboard Larry? No, I I think it was just a board I, I found off Zoomies or or some general uh, skate mall company. It wasn't a drop through mounting, but it was still top mounted. But the board itself was like the deepest drop I still have like seen on the board. I think maybe like two inches of drop. Yeah. So it, in Hawaii, I I skated for some time, uh, but when I came back to the states in Washington back in my hometown you know i seen these flyers uh posted up and it's like you know a skate distance event you know i skate and i have this like low deck uh low to the ground style board like ah i got this this is in my head at the time i was thinking like oh this is gonna be a piece of cake like yeah I remember I was doing like some training where I was like, I don't know, skating of like no more than a kilometer. But like I was expecting at the time, like who who else skates distances? I actually have a date. I found the article. But on October 10th, 2015 was the first time I did a a 5K on the board. Wow. I think, dude, I think I have footage of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 5K in the rain, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, very and much. you're and in the one of the clips. It's like, oh, there's Miguel, dude. No way. Uh, I'll send you a photo, but that was 2015. That was 2015. Wow. I might have to recheck the date, but yeah, I I finished my 5K in 18th place <laughs> at uh, 14 minutes 55 seconds, and I was blown away. <laughs> I didn't realize how scientific the the skate setups were. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that people traveled from across the country to skate this little race in my hometown. Yeah. Like it's, it's an amazing coincidence that I found this cool skate event in my home little town. And it, it, it's so funny because I did that 5k and there's still other, other events the day after. I don't remember what the other events were. I think maybe like a 10k and maybe like a half marathon or th- something. But I remember that 5k wipe me out i <laughs> i finished as best as i could and the next day i remember the uh it was a two-day event and the second day i i just could barely get out of bed i was so <laughs> wiped out i was i was so sore and so tired i i didn't show up <laughs> wow but it hooked me i i was i was so determined to go back the next year and you know, kind of reconnect and do some more research of uh, skateboards and longboards. It was the competitiveness that drove me to keep like looking up things and seeing what I can do with those things. I think your story is really cool. It's it's this whole idea, right? If there are more local events, think about how many other people would find out about this whole thing we do, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, 
getting it out there is all about just having some random 5k in <laughs> in this town in washington right like arlington yeah. is just some random town kind it's not like some like happening place i guess maybe it was in the at one point but you know sure, it's, but it's just a normal it's town yeah exactly yeah so like anyone can do it and like you said people will travel for these things when they're they're in the training for it right it, it means something to them so they will they will come out to your event too but yeah. mostly about locals i think the 5k is super approachable like when you read that you're saying like you're riding like one kilometer at a time maybe not very far but you're like oh 5k skate race like i'm the only one who skates around here right <laughs> like it's such a cool vibe like you think you're you know I, i'm sure other people had the same idea and they, they go to out to events thinking they're going to be the best it, it's fun right the only way to to grow the sport is to have have events like that yeah very much so i i'm hopefully in the future that i can uh, do the same back to the communities and we can all share the stroke and uh, have our own little events like that. It doesn't have to be anything big, but yeah, yeah it was it was that event that kind of sucked me in. <laughs> right on. So that was 2015, and then you mentioned you came back 2016. And yeah. What? So at that point, you're you're into distance skateboarding, right? You're a distance skateboarder now, and you're training. You know, like at that at that point, you're you're skating most weeks, right? good amount of mileage right so like did you decide you wanted to start traveling out to events did you hear about certain events you wanted to get out to like where did you take it from there i guess you know you got beat up the first year you came back did well the next year and, and then what yeah um i currently don't have much documentation that's how i'm able to kind of keep track of these things but i i don't remember what was my next board after that uh heavy drop deck it might have been i i might have been looking at platform decks because i think like at that first centennial uh i believe you and your brother were there yeah i remember sure. kyle cal yan being there and harrison yeah and i think at the time um those platform bracket decks were really really sporty looking and i was definitely invested in in that style yeah. i thought and i i still ride that that style deck but seeing and learning about the ergonomics and the way that deck works i think i i invested myself in the platform deck and i was invested in skateboarding more and training but i think when where it took me next was the skate race in i believe it was dallas the, the rock around the rock one no it was actually more of a skate event uh, geared towards garage uh, racing. Yeah, I wish I could remember what it's called. It, it might have been actually Houston that the event was happening. The skate race itself, I believe, was a 10K. It was in Galveston. And uh, the big draw was for uh, the garage series. But that was the first time I um, had looked forward to an event outside of my state of Washington. And um, I traveled to this place by myself, going to the Texas for the first time. I was able to uh, meet Aaron Mohammadi for the first time of Insanity Bird Shop. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was able to meet Andy Andres for the first time. It was uh, 
I've, in training, I've been uh, learning about him. And I believe at the time he had broken 300 before me meeting him. So it was like this like star shining moment. I was like, whoa, you're Andy. <laughs> I got to meet Lance Curry. Uh, I don't know if you remember him. Oh, I know Lance. Yeah. yeah I feel like he's kind of a, a, an OG skater and For very sure. much a, a downhill skater. So that was that was the first time that I kind of explored where longboarding can take me. Yeah. Showing up to this event, I was, you know, welcomed by the distance skaters and I got to meet some really cool people. In fact, one of my favorite stories of me first meeting Aaron Mohammadi, we, you know, me showing up, I, I don't know anyone. No one knows mm-hmm. me. And I've been training and it's like, okay, it's time to put all this training to, to use for the first time. And I think by then I had this, uh, the La Machina platform deck. I had uh, the bracket set up. It was an out and back skate. And Aaron and I uh, were pretty evenly matched. I think we've been at neck and neck with each other for the whole race. And in, in classic Aaron Mohammadi style, he somehow, I think, uh, loses balance or... <laughs> Or maybe there's just a um, a nasty little pothole in the sidewalk. The trail conditions were not great, but we were right. still skating regardless. And uh, his board flies into the ocean. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and I, I remember I was just motivated to keep going and uh, try to see how fast I could do this uh, event. So I, I kind of leave him behind. Uh, I skate. Uh, without him but at some point i think during the the halfway or the last little bit of um the race he catches back up with me wow. and that was the first time i was able to like you know feel the rush of oh my goodness it's me versus like this one other guy i forgot for which place yeah but it's it's time like it's action it's uh it's it's time to fight and compete <laughs> <laughs> that was it yeah. So was, Aaron was the one who who got you into competitive distance skateboarding. <laughs> I think before that, but he was the first one that I was able to to practice it on. Right. Um, right. I do remember being able to outpush him. I think by the fact that I was mildly studying the the poor pavement and choosing the roadside to finish the race, mm-hmm. but. I, I, that event was the first time I was able to like go somewhere and you know just meet these cool folks and kind of engage with the the skate community and just figure out like oh there's um, some some real love some true um, athletes willing to come out to these events. Yeah, that's cool. I kind of forgot about that little series, you know, and and hearing you talk about it. It sounds sounds like it was pretty successful, you know, and that story about Aaron is, is classic, though. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Board just goes flying into the ocean. And then he it, caught up to you, which is pretty impressive. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the year that I went might have been like the last time it was a push event. OK. Um, but again, it's just like these like little one offs that just kind of like takes you there 
people get to experience it. And if you're there, you're there. And if not, nah, there's there's another event around the corner. All right. So one of the reasons or one of the things we, we wanted to talk about for today was your you've been training a ton. Yeah, you've been kind of at it. I've seen it on the Strava. I've seen it on the social media doing these big rides. I think you did like 100K. What was it like for under? It was like four and a half hours or something for something. Yeah, I did it in um, four hours, 22 minutes. Damn. That's impressive. Thank you. Uh, so like something like thir- over 13 miles an hour. Oh, okay. It's uh, four hours, 27 minutes. Mm, either way. But I still feel pretty proud of that. Yeah. I think that's really impressive. Those kind of long rides where you shoot shoot for these goals is, is great training. What yeah. I want to know and what listeners might be curious is what are you training for? What's what's the next thing? Yeah, I'm I'm training for the the all amazing ultra skate, the the 24 hour skate race. Yeah, I'm sure that comes as no surprise. We talk about the ultra skate a lot on the show. So you're training for ultra skate, Miami ultra skate. And this is a big event. It's a lot to do. You've done it before. My question, I guess, is what are you doing differently this year to combat some of the things maybe you you saw were were weak in previous training training camps you've done or training blocks you've done? First off, uh, for this year, ever since uh, 2023 Ultra, I've been training. Period. In in past events, I've done some training and I was able to kind of, uh, you know, could contain uh, physical momentum or at least like maintain. But this year, since that last ultra, I've been, I think, the most motivated I've been heading into this next ultra of 2024. And this year to to shake things up. I'm training. In, <laughs> um, You're actually gonna train this. Time. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually like trying trying to do more than just uh, maintain. And I've been having a lot of fun with the uh, virtual race series. Yeah, I think that's been a lot of fun to engage with. It I think helps with uh, short bursts of energy, helps with long bursts of energy. From anywhere from those 5Ks, 10Ks, to the biggest one being the 100-kilometer uh, skate event. So that's been, I think, a huge help. But now that that series is all wrapped up, what I'm probably going to do is more longer rides, probably 100Ks, um, probably longer. Because along with uh, physical training, I've been more engaged and trying to obtain more knowledge on uh, fuel training or at least uh, just fuel, period. What do you mean by fuel training? What is that? I think the biggest downfall was uh, last year I wasn't, or in previous years, not to say that I wasn't able to accomplish much, but my biggest downfall was not being as nutritionally supported as I was maybe physically physically able to do the event. So what I'm planning to do for this year is to consume much more than I probably ever have in the ultra skate. Okay. 
And so like uh, calories wise. Yeah, calories and and for me, I've been uh, keeping the close eye on my carb intake. I feel like um, that is kind of the key ingredient for for this race. Yeah, for sure. Um, to train for that is uh, to train your gut to be able to absorb and to handle all this uh, this weight and all this carbs I'm I'm throwing at it. So training the gut mainly. Right. So the fuel training part is making sure you eat the things you're going to eat during the ride, but focusing on carbs and and basically training your, your body to be ready to like consume a lot of calories while working out. Yeah. Um, in past ultra skates, I've um, I've I think consumed like no more than 50 grams of carbs, which not to say I couldn't accomplish much. 50 grams of carbs an hour or just? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, 50 grams of carbs per hour. I was able to get by on on some events. I was able mm-hmm. to to do a, a good deal of distances. From what I'm kind of leaning on with my physical training is uh, for the nutrition and for for the carbs to basically carry me or at least for me to trust it to um to obtain the goal that i'm looking for i am probably planning to consume about maybe 80 grams to 90 grams of carbs per hour okay um it's almost double yeah i think that's really smart and what you're doing like looking into the science behind it all and digging into all this is really the right way to do it. I don't know, like off the top of my head, like any any of this stuff, right? So hearing it from you is, is nice. I think when, when it comes to, you know, I, Will, you know, my brother was saying the same thing. He, he consumes, he does by car, carb intake, like grams, right? How many grams of carbs per hour? And that's what you're saying, 80 to 90. I think that makes sense. You know, 50 sounds low. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say that you can't accomplish a lot out of it. I was able to get my personal best ultra skate, which is 50 grams of carbs, uh, 50 grams of carbs per hour. And I think, I don't know, somewhere around 500 milligrams of sodium mm-hmm. per hour. I think for me to achieve the next level of my next goal, I have to trust in the fuel source and uh, use that to my advantage. The analogy that I've been looking at with ultras, with the the research I've been looking at is uh, that ultras is like an eating contest on the go. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's a great point. And there's a lot of research out there for like ultras in terms of like ultra running and uh, like Ironmans. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of use that knowledge and translate it to the board uh, as best as I can. Definitely. Running, it's it's an eating contest on the go. That's so true, though, because half of the battle is you like gauging and budgeting your energy so that you can actually consume the food before it becomes a problem. Because once it becomes a problem, it's going to be a lot harder to consume the food. And then it just takes longer to, you know, get it through your system. Right. So like this whole idea you have of getting ahead of all that is really smart. Yeah. And I'm curious to see what it's going to do for you. 
in your training, you've just been counting all the carbs basically for every hour and treating it like it's like it's an ultra skate. Like for these for this hundred K you did, right? What how did that go? Yeah. Um to to kind of keep pushing up these levels, I didn't, you know, start from my fifty grams of carbs per hour and jumped immediately to ninety grams of carbs per hour. It, it took some incremental steps. Um but yesterday was the first time I did another uh, hundred kilometers yesterday. Nice. And uh, I really want to kind of push the envelope on how much grams of carbs per hour, as well as um, I've been looking at other uh, fuel sources. So what it looks like is making sure I'm consuming uh, the the carb content. Yesterday, I was able to consume 90 grams of carbs per hour by means of uh, gels, uh, by powder, and using probably like the 100 kilometers as the best time uh, of duration to kind of play with that nutrition. I think if you spend that amount of time, about four or five hours on on the board, and you're able to incrementally increase your fuel source you're able to kind of better prepare yourself for these long events Mm -hmm. that four hour mark is a big one i feel like when you hit four hours it's you've been at it for a while and and it's that's the point where i feel like if you haven't been eating if you haven't been eating enough or if you haven't been catching up on your calories and liquids, that's when you really start to feel it. I think it also that four hour mark or five hour mark is for me the first time I want to consume a solid fuel source and see how that felt in my stomach. Because mm-hmm. um, after these long duration rides, you eventually need to consume s- small amounts of protein, small amounts of uh, fats so being able to test with these products or whichever fuel source you choose and see how that settles in your stomach. Uh-huh. Yesterday was the first time I consumed this one bar and I just had a hard time getting through it. So I ditched that one and grabbed another one where I was able to better uh, ingest it. And sure. just testing those things out is... Uh, Right now, being able to see, you know, what works best for me, what what's going to taste good, because mm-hmm. if you don't like it, it's it's going to taste miserable while you're skating for 24 hours. Well, you make a couple of good points there, right? One is if you don't like something, but the other is like if you haven't tried something and it's a foreign taste and the first time you have it is eight hours into an ultra skate, it's not going to taste good. Like rarely like does a new th- like. It's just mentally you're not going to be ready for it. And I think this whole idea where the example you gave was really good. You took a bite of something and it didn't taste good. So then you went to something you knew would taste good and you knew you could get down. So like think about that middle of an ultra skate. Your support crew hands you a bar that you know you like. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can just get this down. It's it's a huge difference than being handed something that you don't know about. Then you have to kind of evaluate. Maybe you have to look at what's in it. All this stuff that now you have to think about while you're trying to skateboard 24 hours or yeah, trying to stay awake. <laughs> Every little bit of energy is, is important, 
right? Yeah, it's a lot to process while you're uh, skiing for 24 hours. Definitely having that uh, support crew is really great to to help relieve that mental anguish of trying to calculate your your carbon take. But if you're not able to, uh, just uh, having this kind of whiteboard or like this notebook situation just to kind of tally where you're at. In in base, uh, carbs is is what fuels our muscles, especially for these long events. So that's what I suggest for a lot of people and to start training with that now to get used to their gut um, and taking these carbs. The numbers that I've been looking at is about for, for an event like this for 24 hours is about 60 grams of carbs. And that's probably like a minimum. It might, it obviously depends, right? How big you are, sure. but like, uh, that's just it. You got to look into it for yourself. Yeah. And I, I say this with, with uh not knowing the audience and what their needs are Mm -hmm. before this little chat that you and i are doing i hit up a few 300 mile marker uh distance skaters um and i talked to them and see you know like what was your carbon take like great idea and you know you got someone like kyle yan who consumed I think around that 50 to 60 grams mark Mm -hmm. and him suggesting a smaller amount just because of how small he is. And I was able to talk with Adam and his was probably the most larger amount of grams per hour of, uh, he said he consumed around that 90 gram per hour mark, but he at times was able to consume uh, about I think 110, 120 grams of carbs per hour. Nice. So that's a lot that you're throwing at your gut. That's uh, <laughs> that's quite a vast difference. And um, just knowing what works best for you, but not only that, but just uh, working up to that amount. Cool. What are your favorite like gels and stuff? Do you have anything you, you recommend? I've been really into uh, for hydration fuel uh scratches high carb mix oh yeah yeah that sounds good i've used other products in the past and i was very surprised by how much i have grown away from that product tailwind uh yeah (laughs) yeah i i guess it's fine because like i try not to name drop these things um i didn't even realize you didn't name drop it i I thought you had said it yeah that's okay i mean Tailwind works for what it does. It, it doesn't do everything, though. Yeah. Neither does Scratch. Um, <laughs> like. But I forget, actually, the, the main reason why I was so invested by all this nutrition was uh, last year, or at least or, uh, the 2023 Ultra Skate. I show up to the event and, you know, I skate as best as I could. And event, uh, at some point, I start having uh, GI issues. Uh, uh, issues. I start, you know, bloating. I start feeling like, man, I just have like this brick of a loaf in my stomach. And uh, eventually, I start throwing up. And I was curious to know why. Why did I start throwing up? Was it the heat? I was using goo. And at first, for some period of time, I was thinking maybe it was the... Um, the branched amino acids in goo. 
because there have been studies that said uh, that high amounts of those can cr- create some uh, stress in the gut. But what ultimately what I've uh, depicted was I did not train my gut prior to that uh, 2023 ultrascape. I'd been so used to tailwind that I didn't think to uh, to use it beforehand to get my body ready. When I finished the event, it was probably the first time I was uh, I I walked out of the event with a breakout, and uh, I just I think I shocked my system. So I think it was since since then that like I've been super interested in in making sure that I had um my my nutrition on set and mm-hmm. just making sure that like when I go into this next ultrascape that I'll be nutritionally ready and just confident in the mm-hmm. fuel that I'm intaking. But uh yeah Tailwind was the one that I uh I had used but with the longboard series I I kind of depicted that I can no longer use Tailwind. I think uh, just my body doesn't agree with it as much anymore. Um, So I've been using Scratch's high-carb mix, and it's always good to kind of not rely on one fuel source in case you need to uh, take something out of the equation, whether it be you get tired of one product. So I have been really enjoying... um, the science and sports isotonic gels. Oh yeah. I love those. Yeah. I think they're really great. And I've been kind of incorporating uh, a company called spring that uses. Yeah. I love those. The spring gels. There's like the, the canaberry, which is like strawberry, banana, and like basmati rice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other one I really like is the green one. You know, the, the green yeah, one? The apple pie. Apple pie. Yesterday was the first time I had it and I loved it. So good. <laughs> but I have a little sample pack from them and I tried their um, their mango. I think it has like caffeine. Oh, fun. Um, but I wasn't able to ingest it, I think because of the fat content, but mainly because of it has coconut oil. And uh, so I opened it for the first time. I put it in my mouth yesterday and I was like, wow, it's too coconutty. It's too, too much for me. Ooh, that sounds good. I like that. It was coconut mango. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, for, for sure. I could see that coconut's kind of an intense flavor. But I think that's the, the main point of, of doing these long rides is getting to a point of exhaustion and then trying these products out before ultrascape and seeing like, Oh, do I like this? Am I able to ingest it and being able to kind of practice and uh, play around with that before it becomes serious. Yeah. In regards to like these long rides you're doing, right? You said you, you did a hundred K last week or yesterday. Is this like a normal training week for you right now? Are you, are you just doing like 100 mile weeks? Is it, do you have a schedule for each day? What does what a normal training week look for you, I guess? Be the question. Yeah, I think now that the uh, Latour the Longboard virtual series is all finished up, I'll probably be doing more 100 kilometers or plus rides just to 
to simulate the the idea of riding a little bit faster than ultra skate and mm-hmm. seeing what fuel uh, works best for me. These these long rides are essentially like me getting into a pain cave to to simulate fuel. But other than that, I think I just like to do some other ride, whether it be maybe like a 5K, 10K, or maybe I want to do like hill repetitions mm-hmm. or maybe like more sprints. Me personally, I'm not a sprinter. Uh, I think that is the style of racing I kind of fall back on. So just being able to like keep working on those max heart rate intensity moments uh, is is a good idea just working on your your weaknesses so you're talking about heart rate right are most of your rides like low heart rate zone for the most part yeah these longer rides definitely keep a lower heart rate i think it's uh zone two is kind of like what i fall Mm -hmm. into or at least um i think my average heart rate for yesterday was I think somewhere around 140 uh, beats per minute, which I I feel okay with just because I know I'm running a little bit faster than ultra skate pace and still kind of simulating what what it would feel like in a shorter duration of time. Yeah. 140 is pretty good for holding ultra skate pace for three. I mean, you say ultra skate pace. What you're saying is 300 pace. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm exposed uh, very gotcha. much. I, I'm very um, superstitious <laughs> when it comes to that. I've I've never really told someone that like, oh, I'm shooting for 300. But I I, I feel like this is the, the year to do it for yeah. myself. You're like indirectly saying it, right? Because you're like, yeah. if you go this fast. It's a little faster than Ultra Skate Pace. <laughs> What is he saying? Yeah, it, it's good, though. It, the idea where you, you don't want to talk about it, right? Because, like, so much of that's out of your control. Like, you don't know if it's just going to downpour the entire time, right? So the goal is not necessarily, like, 300. It's to set yourself up as best you could for 300. Because at the end of the, you know, it gets to a point where you can't control certain things. And it's got to show up. Yeah, the, the weather is the only thing I can control. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful, whether good weather or bad weather, that I'm able to at least get a personal record just mm-hmm. by me putting in the hours, the time, as well as uh, spending countless of uh, probably hours studying uh, nutrition, going to the whiteboard. Um, but as well as you kind of always caught me break up the monotony and I've been, uh, doing some long, uh, or some, uh, some rock climbing. That's kind of like my, uh, go to side workout. And I mostly do, uh, gym rock climbing. So it keeps me, you know, once a week in the gym of doing some indoor climbs and then being able to, uh, weight lift a little bit and nothing, nothing too crazy. I'm not too knowledgeable on on weightlifting but i get i get some reps in i do uh a little bit of work just to kind of engage some different muscles and you know keep it moving yeah no that's really smart you're doing all the things you need to do putting in the time like you said if you put in enough time into this and you know you put your effort and your mental energy right all this is gonna 
manifest itself into you showing up to ultra skate at the start line ready to go you oh, know because yeah. i think you've been there right maybe last year was one of those years where you show up at the start line you're like i don't know how to do this <laughs> you know what i mean like I, i've personally i can say like i've definitely been there where you, you get there and you're like damn you know I didn't really train for this this year. And that's fine. You don't have to train for ultra skate to have a good time. You don't have to train at all to go, right? That's not what I'm really saying. I think if you're the type of person who wants to beat their personal best, you know, pushing themselves, it's so comforting to get there and be like, oh, I trained for this. You know, all I have to do now is the same thing I've been doing for the past eight months. Like, this is what I trained for. So it's going to it's going to pay dividends. Very much so. It's funny because in previous years, when people have asked me, oh, how do you train for something as big as an ultra skate? Amazingly enough, my answer was like, you can't, Mm -hmm. which is so silly because you totally can. But in, in my idea at the time, I was thinking other than doing long rides, like how else can you train for 24 hours? Um, but the truth is you totally can't yeah. you're, and for me, that looks like, uh, fuel training with, uh, training my body to absorb these large amounts of carbs and as well as, uh, just main, maintaining this activity, a healthy lifestyle of, uh, making sure I get my vitamins, my sleep. I like that you pointed out this question. Like I've heard it before. I'm sure many others have. How do you train for ultra skate? And you can't get too wrapped up in the 24 hour part of it. Yeah. It's not like training for the 24 hour is going out and doing a 24 hour. Like that'll help you. But I like how you pointed out part of training is getting your gut ready. Like part of training is just getting used to riding your board every day all the time, you know, like. It's not necessarily the 24 hours that gets you. It's there's more. There's so much more to it, you know? Yeah. Um, It's like refining things over time. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you before an event where like you have too many, too much jitters going on that you can't like eat and drink normally. Right. And that just hurts your performance when it comes to race. Right. Because you haven't been consuming enough. Oh, yeah. Those those jitters will definitely uh, create, you know, some tension in your body, and then it constricts your ability to to consume what you're trying to throw at it. I think that's that's a huge thing to work on. Just eating a lot of food, like <laughs> sounds crazy, but like making sure you're comfortable like consuming food, and then also, of course, while you're on the ride, finding the things that are easy enough to eat. That you can eat a lot of and are, you know, you, you're counting the carbs, right? This whole yeah. system you have to develop takes takes a lot of time, wouldn't you say? It truly does. And it's best to work on it earlier than later. Uh, just that way you're able to play around um, with your fuel. But not only that, uh, you have to work on other uh, aspects of uh of your nutrition as well as your setup, your mind, your body. Uh, there's so much to consider uh, just on the fuel aspect. I'm, I'm, I'm still not fully committed to one framework of fuel that I am currently using. I'm, I'm still tweaking it. I'm still 
um, seeing how best to to play around with it. I, I think mainly on the solid fuel aspect, um, just being able at some point to consume solid fuel and seeing uh, how that works. Yeah. The f- term framework of fuel or the phrase, I guess, that's really cool. That's That's a great way to put it. It's it's a you know summation of several components that make your fuel program, if you will. Yeah. And part of that is your hydration fuel, right? You mentioned scratch high carb uh, powder mix is what you use. You can use Tailwind. You can use regular scratch. You can use uh, liquid IV. Actually, that's not really a calorie one. Um, but there's other things, right? Like LMNT, liquid IV. These are like for just electrolytes. LMNT is my favorite. I think you really like that too. Yeah, it's I so do. good. Yeah. Have you tried the chocolate flavor? I have. I've, the only so, one I haven't <laughs> tried is a grapefruit. Oh, well, grapefruit's fine. I mean, grapefruit just tastes like all the other citrus ones. Uh, they have some great flavors. They have watermelon, raspberry, all the fruits. Then they have like these spicy ones too. And then they have yeah. chocolate. Chocolate's so good. It's like surprisingly good. You put it with water. And it tastes like um, hot cocoa or like chocolate milk. It's best um, warm. Warm it up. Side conversation on element, the element Oh, um, you, yeah, you call it element? I don't know. It's what, yeah. Well, it might be element. I, I, for a while, was calling it L-M-N-T until uh, Hope, my, my wonderful girlfriend, um, she pointed out, it's like, oh, it's element. I was like, oh, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> but uh, side note on it, I I um, I think from the last Ultra got that sample pack. And of course, that Ultra Skate, you, you know, you kind of like put it to your, your side bag, or at least like I wasn't, had no idea what that product was. Yeah. And it wasn't until like a few months after that I... I pulled open that bag and I tried it for the first time, you know, I think like everyone else reeling back, like, whoa, this is super salty and just being struck with this kind of salt bomb. Yeah. But um, then kind of being introduced into the world of uh, hydrating through, through sodium. It's a big one. It is huge. That that is another uh, form of the nutrition that that is, I think, so crucial is making sure you get your your salts and your electrolytes. I agree, and it's to a level that people that I shouldn't say people. I myself did not realize. Like it, you lose so much salt when you're out there, and some and it's another thing that's subjective. My my brother and Harrison were out, they're out in Colorado, and they have. There's some system, some way you can get this tested where they will test how much salt you lose in a given hour of working out. And that's important information to know, because if you're not replenishing that over 24 hours, you're just going to screw yourself like it's inevitable. And uh, I guess for those who may not be familiar, the LMNT element, uh, they're little packets. They each have a thousand milligrams of salt. 200 milligrams of potassium and then 60 of magnesium. It's something like that. I might be wrong. I know it's a thousand sodium and I can correct this later, but, um, point is really good for hydration. 
and it's one of those overlooked things. You just put it in your water, and the water tastes a little salty, pretty salty, but it's crazy. Once you drink it, you feel it. I feel it almost instantaneously. Like, it is that good, you know, and it's that important. Yeah, and with the salts, um, you know, we're all, again, with the fuel, we're all uh, a different we all need different amounts of it. Um, whether you're a salty sweater, whether you uh, don't sweat too much. Um, mm-hmm. I myself become a, a salt lick. Even yesterday, uh, I, you can see the, the amount of salt build up <laughs> on my neck and on my hands. Um, I think for most people, shooting for around a 500 milligrams of sodium is a good base. So Per hour? Like, yeah, per hour. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. That's okay. Yeah, all these numbers are per hour. That's the best way to yes. go about it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, about five hundred milligrams uh, per hour is, I think, a good base if you're getting getting familiar and if you're wanting to kind of explore uh, the hydration, which is very crucial. I myself am a, a quite a salty sweater, um, and my framework is about a thousand milligrams of sodium per hour. But speaking back on the testing, it's really cool that you're able to, uh, you know, go to a lab and like get scientific awesome numbers on like mm-hmm. your uh, v- VO2 max, your, your heart rate, you know, all these like crazy cool statistic numbers are, are just for you. But I, I've been seeing... Um, like at home tests of how you personally are able to uh, kind of test how much salt you're losing or how much you're sweating out. I think simply by just weighing yourself on a scale uh, before a ride um, and weighing yourself after and seeing the difference of weight and being able to determine, okay, well, I lost X amount of weight per hour. I should be consuming uh, about that X amount of liquid to replenish what I've lost and kind of determining whether if you're a salty sweater and using kind of the, the, the sodium numbers to kind of back it up. I don't want to get too much into detail, I know what you're saying. It's Just like uh, I I am still learning these uh, systems, so I don't mm-hmm. want to give any misinformation. But um, I think just looking online of how you're able to weigh yourself to see how much you're losing. Right. There's tons of great resources out there. You don't need the lab necessarily. And it, again, like Adam brought this up in his episode where he's like heart rate zones and all this stuff, you're trying to put numbers on something that's not really quantifiable necessarily. Like it's really subjective based on the person, based on the day, based on the way they're feeling, you know, like, and even then we don't know for sure. Like take it all with a grain of salt, dare I say. Not only that, but it's hard to, you know, fully replenish what you lost especially with uh, mm-hmm. calories and carbs. When I talk about, you know, fueling your body, you're, you're never going to fu- fully uh, replenish everything, whether it be from calories 
and electrolytes. And it's okay to have, uh, you know, some sort of net loss of stuff just because at an event, you're always going to be at a loss. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily about always being equalized at zero or whatever. Like, the reality is you eat before and then you have to eat after anyway right you, you have to live your life and like just being alive is going to take energy so so yeah you, you'll be fine like you're gonna lose you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot by the end of anything yeah it's, it's inevitable um, and, and i keep on saying uh frameworks because it's always good to kind of have an idea of what to replenish or at least a number to replenish like earlier when i was talking about me personally, I'm shooting for 90 grams of carbs per hour. In regards to, uh, let's say, heat, for example, if the temperature, as it normally does in ultrascape, heats up, we're able to less uh, consume carbs and calories as it starts to warm up. It just takes more effort for our body to, to take these fuel in. Uh, so probably when it gets warm, I might shoot a little bit lower of grams, uh, per hour. Like yesterday, um, at some point, I think whether it be, uh, taste fatigue or something, I, I, at my lowest was at 70 grams of carbs per hour, but it was still enough for me to, um, keep, keep pushing. And sometimes that framework allows you to um, increase those numbers, whether you increase it a little bit more in the in the cooler hours, you're able to consume more energy to to propel your body, uh, along with your, your hydration of, at some point, maybe you need more electrolytes, more sodium, and at some points you might need less. Yeah. Building a framework is, I think, really great. Yeah, that's a fun thing to think about. Depending on the weather, you might not actually need as much salt, right? But oh, yeah. another deceiving thing is like, <clears throat> so there was the uh, Philadelphia race recently, the True Kill, and it rained the entire time. And it was a great time. We had a, we had a blast, right? It was 25 miles, 26 miles. Yeah, I was there. And uh, I didn't really drink water the entire time. I had it on me. I could have drank it. I wasn't thirsty. You know, it was raining. I was like drenched in water. I didn't think I needed to. And like finally at the end, I start cramping and I'm like, oh, it's because I haven't consumed any electrolytes, you know, like so sometimes you think you don't need it, but you actually do. And that's mm-hmm. another one that can sneak up on you. Right. Like you're talking about also when it's darker, when it's colder, you might not need <coughs> as much, but also certain conditions might make you think you don't need it as much when you actually do. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's always best to consume some amount, but I can see if I was in that situation, I would also not want to to consume the water, even though it's all around me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a smart thing uh, to do. Wouldn't recommend. <laughs> How was it? Uh, was it a good it time? It was so much fun. Yeah, we had we had a great time. Uh, really great event. He's going to do more next year. It's It's going to be great. Philadelphia is such a nice city. So much fun. I've never been to the East side. So hopefully maybe uh, next year once I'm You've done. You've never been uh, to the East coast? 
besides no. besides, Florida, besides Miami. Wow. All right. We'll have to change that. <laughs> I I still would love to visit uh, you in Maine. Oh yeah. But as well as uh, just visit the East Side. I'm sure there's uh, maybe some other fun events I'm probably missing. But probably once I'm done, uh, you know, spending so much of my time, energy, money, and effort on uh, nutrition and ultra skate, I can probably have more flexibility to uh, to fly to other places. Yeah, I mean, you did Ladiga. That's that's close to the East Coast. Holy moly! Close that enough. was when did I do Ladiga? I think that was like twenty seventeen. Yeah. 2017. I remember that. Wow. I, I saw that you guys uh, posted up the dates and we did. Yeah. Would, Carlos is on it. I would love to uh, put that on my calendar for something to, to revisit. Yeah. It's going to keep happening. Carlos is, uh, is the man for the job. He's, he's already released. I get, well, we're recording this a day before registration goes live. So nice, by the time yeah. this is uh, released, registration will be live for Ladiga. So sign up if you want to. There's only 30 spots. And I guess if I could just take a minute to talk about this. There's 30 spots only because we don't have enough volunteers and support crew to run more than 30 people. And like it's logistically really difficult to get 50 or more than 30. Like say there were 50 people across, you know, from Atlanta to the middle of Alabama and back, you know, it's logistically difficult, but we could do it with more help probably. But, you know, the limit set 30. We didn't even have 30 last year. So I doubt, you know, it might hit the cap, but the cap's only there for that reason. It's not because we don't want people to come. It's not because we want it to be exclusive. It's just because it needs to fire well and it needs to, you know, happen. So yeah. that's in why listening some with some of your other talks uh, with planning this past uh, Ladiga or like being involved mm-hmm. in that process, it's for everyone's safety. It's yeah. uh, to ensure everyone's well-being and make sure that if something does happen, that there are the resources and the people available to alleviate any situations. Right. Exactly. And we're working on like improving that every year. You know, it's it's really fun to see the ev- evolution of something like that. Uh, talked about it with Scott, how he recommends organizing an event three years out, being like first year is going to be a shit show, but not really. It's just going to be whatever it is, right? Inaugural event year is going to be whatever. And then think, okay, second year we'll have more down. Third year we'll have things refined. And sort of having that foresight can go a long way. It it looks really good too from a like event goer perspective. Nice. Right? Like oh, I know the dates for the, for this event ten months out. This is super helpful. I can it, schedule my vacation now. It truly, it truly does help. Um, I think just always the the earlier the the better you're able to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Which is what you're doing, right? You're training like ten. You you train like a year out. <laughs> you got home from last ultra and you're like, I'm gonna start training now. So like training too, right? Just as much as event planning, you know, goes a long way. Yeah, truly. Uh, So I have another question. I think you've touched on this a little bit, but people might be curious sort of what, what setup are you riding? What's your, what's your go-to 
long distance skate. What did you ride for yesterday's hundred K? You know, what are you, what are you riding? Um, well, what I rode <clears throat> on, um, my hundred K from yesterday, it's hopefully not the board or maybe the board I'll be using as my backup, mm-hmm. uh, for ultra skate. Uh, as I'm recording this right now, I am, uh, missing a board on my 5k attempt. Uh, I, I skated myself to mental exhaustion and, uh, I left my board behind. Wow. Um, it got, uh, you know, snatched. It got jacked. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Uh, so hopefully I can have, uh, my board back, but that, that, setup that i was planning to take to ultra skate was uh the pantheon uh the bandito okay um i was such an avid user of uh la machina from subsonic Mm. um but once i hopped on that bandito i really enjoyed the the shorter platform just enough for for your feet uh felt very nice and agile i really like the the balance and the play and the narrowness of the the platform I, I really like that deck. I love the Bandito. That yeah, was yeah. the one I was riding for my platform setup. Yeah. Um, so that's what you yeah. got on your deck. Are you doing tor- Are you doing Torsion Tail or what do you have in the back? Yeah, I really like the Torsion Tail, the TTA. I really like how it has kind of a, a fork setup and you're able to, I think, better ride uh, switch pushing. Mm-hmm. a little bit harder and faster without it um, being played or without your weight being played around too much. The delirium with the vertical kingpin with the kind of bushings that are stacked on top of each other, I find when I push a switch that I'm less uh, stable. Oh, weird. When you say switch, are you saying like Mongo switch? So like your your foot your board foot's like in the back a little bit. Is that Mongo? Just like not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I push switch, I push Mongo. So when I'm pushing switch, my non-dominant uh, board leg yeah. is uh, more in the rear, and I feel because that is my non-dominant, I need more stability. And with the delirium, I feel like it kind of creates this kind of like balance system mm-hmm. almost like if you're on those uh like balance boards with uh the wheel that you kind of have to like find that right spot yeah yeah so when i'm pushing things. switch on the delirium i find that it has uh too much play so i really like the the tta just because it has uh for me more stability um, especially with my bushing setups, I feel like I ride uh, very soft bushings compared to a lot of folks. I use uh, Riptide's uh, 70A bushings. 70? Uh, yeah, the like the purple ones that are like, yeah, you can basically turn to jello with your hand. Uh huh. That's interesting. I like that observation you have of sort of the Mongo push changing the way it feels. Mm-hmm. The way like your push, I've always wondered about this. Like for me personally, I I'll like shuffle my foot up a little bit. I like to try and keep it in the middle if I'm pushing Mongo. Oh. But like, yeah, I try not to have it too far back. Um, but I 
I don't know if it does anything. I just like it. It feels more comfortable. I feel like my momentum's a little more forward, but the just, you know, the switching from regular, like regular pushing to Mongo is, is effortless in the, you know, you just kind of like change the leg. Whereas if you want to shuffle, you kind of have to change how you're standing on the board, which takes a little bit of energy out of you, which like we're talking ultra skate kind of thing or any long distance ride, that little bit of energy. Number one, it it costs a lot, but it could also trigger like you to fall somehow. Right. If you're like shifting your weight. Losing your balance is something that can happen so easily when you're skating for 24 hours or even when you skate for uh, a very hard intensely for a short duration. When you, what's your primary setup that you switch, push switch on? My like board setup? Yeah, like when you uh, push switch and you're able to shuffle your your non-dominant board leg to the middle, Mm -hmm. which which board are you mainly using? That's any board. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, and it, it's maybe not so much of a shuffle as like, you just kind of put one foot behind the other as opposed to having them spread out and then you switch. So it's like your your regular foot is on the bolts, say, of a bracket board, right? So it's right on the edge, right? Like where the where the bracket curves up and then you put your other le- other foot right behind that. And now it's like right in the middle of the board and like you're kind of standing on the on the you know front of the board both of your feet but then you just take the the switch foot off to push does that make sense wait wait so you actually like you you switch from like riding what is it regular to riding like goofy or you ride goofy to riding regular uh if i if i were to stop pushing yeah but like you don't really stop pushing right like you just kind of switch legs that's that's super interesting to hear I think riding switch is super important. And you're talking about riding switch as in like uh, from facing one way of the board to facing the other way of the board. Completely. Yeah. If you're regular now, you're goofy. Yeah. And like riding down the street like that or down a hill, dare I like, you know, take the challenge. I (laughs) that's that's actually very impressive to hear. Um, I myself, even when I'm switching, push switching. My orientation, even though I'm facing forward, mm-hmm. if I were to snap back into uh, a, a, my regular stance, I would still be facing one way of the board. I'm a uh, was a regular, yeah, facing skater, so I face to the to the right of the board, and I always face to the right of the board. I uh, I'm not at the level of comfortability where I can face to the left. I, I understand its importance, but that's that's impressive. Yeah, I say important, but that's just like not really a thing. It, it's do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> like I like to do it because it makes me feel more comfortable. And like when you fall, or like if you're like you have to swerve around something, you have like better board control if you can just hop right on the board wherever you need to. You know, mm, I like treat it like it's like this, you know, ambiguous thing. It's not necessarily like goofy or regular, right? I guess speaking back, uh, the reason why I think I'm not able to kind of in my regular uh, setup do that movement, not only because I am less comfortable with that, but also like the board is only so big for my my feet, even like from toe to heel, toe to heel. Yeah, the bandito uh, is pretty small. 
it just works that I just lift my uh, lift my front foot just to push. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like it's so effortless and it's so much cleaner to do it that way. The thing I think about is like your hip, your hips are like kind of locked in one position and like, does that do anything? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking out loud really. Like it'd be nice to have an expert get on this and analyze more about form and Mm. whether or not shifting that, you know, like when you say you're facing one way, you're facing the other, it's like right or left, which way are you facing, you know? And if you're kind of always locked in this facing right position, is that doing anything that you don't want, right? Do you want to make sure you, you change it up to balance yeah. things out? Um, I've considered that for um, for pumping, for like stand-up paddle setups, but I've never considered that for like a regular push kind of system. Mm. But I, I'm I'm mainly a pusher. That's what I'll be doing. I, I won't be stand-up paddling. And yeah, it would be interesting to kind of like see more forms and maybe see uh, a switch sub person. That'd be really but cool. I'm just going to stay comfortable <laughs> in my one uh, regular stance uh, way. Yeah, as comfortable as you can skating 13 mm-hmm. miles an hour for four and a half hours. Yeah, I don't think what you're doing is very comfortable, Angel. I would say <laughs> I would say you're pushing the, your limits there. That's good, though. It's great. Great to see you're really killing it with the training. Uh, really inspiring. And, you know, I love seeing your, your stuff on Strava. If anyone else is on Strava, get get on there. Make sure you follow all the skaters. I just got it like way too late. And it's super motivating to look on there and be like, see, uh, like your rides. You did one. It was like yellow team. Yellow team, IDSA team. Oh, the challenge is live. It it's it's going. If you don't know about this, it'll be like three quarters of the way through by the time this releases. But really fun. This whole like red team, blue team, green team, yellow team. You can sign. You signed up earlier, right? If you are if you're in this, and every hundred kilometers you get one point for your team. There's like thirty people on a team, right? Like Each that. team and oh yeah, they're they're all gauged to be about the same amount of mileage based on what you said you were looking to uh, accomplish in October. So for the month of October, all of our mile, all of our kilometers, I should say, are being recorded. Every 100k, we get one point for our team. You're on the yellow team. I'm on the green team. <laughs> so green yeah. team strong. If you're out there. Oh. I was uh, following your brother and I was super excited. I think it was like last week that I saw your name pop up. Yeah. I was like, yes, yeah. Max, come join. And uh, just like, I, it's funny uh, having this Facebook style activity feed, uh, just like being able to kind of keep up on the other people and just, uh, I think have more expressive uh, creativity on these like fun little uh, posts for, for, for your training rides. They've done such a good job at making social media for, for this kind of thing. Like you pointed out, it's like Facebook, but with all the stuff you actually want to see just people, just people's rides, you know, like you can comment, you can like follow people, you know, message people like, Really cool. I'm I'm actually very impressed 
Last time I looked into Strava, it was must have been like eight years ago. And they were like very anti everything that wasn't cycling. Now it seems like they've really oh. opened up and they've the app is, is really impressive. There's a lot you can do with it. Uh, I connected my Apple Watch to it very easily. I imagine it's very easy to connect any other tracking device. Very cool and uh, highly recommend. Get on Strava. All right. So we talked a lot about Ultrascape, which was sort of the other thing I wanted to pick your brain on. Is there any other like general training tips or anything Ultrascape related you want to touch on here that we didn't talk about? I don't think I have anything other than fueling uh, to know on for Ultrascape. I feel like fueling is kind of for me and maybe for other people, kind of a key component that they might have been missing. Uh, just getting really comfortable with that, setting up a fuel plan, doing long rides uh, to get your gut ready and to feel comfortable with your fuel. But um, with those long miles, you know, you get your practice in of actually skating. Um, but there's not other like strong opinions other than that that I feel for training other than just to like have fun, show up, do the best you can do and uh, have a good time. No, that's so good because what you're saying is essentially there are things you can control and try and control them as best you can. And consume what you consume is is the most is the easiest thing to control. Oh, yeah. So great point, honestly. Not something I really thought too much about, but like, yeah, like that's a problem for me. I, I imagine it's a problem for other people and I'm definitely going to be looking into this more. I feel like you can definitely put in a lot more outward energy if you have your ingoing energy on point. Like I'm talking to you, Max. I feel like you got a lot in you that you can <laughs> you can show for. And I feel like I, I'm ready for other people to kind of explore nutrition and explode with energy yeah i love that though because what you're saying is so simple it's just eat food get energy like consume know what you're consuming and and just get on that shit like it's yeah. not that hard everyone eats every day <laughs> <laughs> like just think about it a little more um yeah i guess in regards to anything else is there anything not training ultra skate related anything not skateboarding related um, that you got on your mind that we should we should let everyone know um not that i like need to let everyone know but i don't know you know what motivates you other than like your your own uh or for myself other than you know the natural competitiveness and wanting to uh see how well i can do a certain uh, event or time, but what also motivates me is music. Max, you okay. feel the same way? Yeah, sure. I I always have like music in in my ears, and I it puts a, a better mood while I'm on these long rides. I want to share some of these artists. Oh yeah, let's do it. Um, I myself am very interested in uh, instrumental music. I feel like for these long rides, it it's not as attention grabbing as, as lyrical music is. Sure. Uh, so all these artists are instrumental artists. 
a few bands is uh, one called L1011. That's like E-L, and then the uh-huh. number is 1011. I feel like their cool. albums, uh, Transitions and uh, New Year's Eve is really great. Yeah, cool. I love that. There's another band called And So I Watch You From Afar. They're kind of they're gonna be more of a metal for when you kind of like need more energy and drive for your long rides. I really like the album All Hail Bright Futures, as well as another album, uh The Endless Shimmering. Perfect. And mainly when I listen to these musics, I, I I listen to it from albums. I feel like it kind of like creates this world experience for you to kind of transport your body out of. Yeah. No, that's so cool. Listening to full albums is a great idea. Combining yeah. that with a skate is a really cool thing. You kind of go on a little journey and and you have a little story, a little, yeah, little narrative. I, narrative. <laughs> I got one more, too. This one's yeah, a definitely fun one for when you need like uh, like a 5K or 10K kind of energy is uh, a band called Bear Cubbin. And this is like uh, if... A bear cub was turned into uh, what, a, a verb with an apostrophe and an exclamation point. That's cool. how their uh, name is spelled. And I really like their album, uh, Girls with Fun Haircuts. Sweet. I'll put all of these in the description. Yeah. As recommendations. Uh, I find them to be very beautiful music. And it's just, you know, fun energy that you can kind of tune into, tune out of to kind of help uh help your drive help uh break up the the pain <laughs> the monotony yeah that's great we haven't had uh music recommendations yet on the show this is great max do you have any is, do you have uh you're gonna put me on the spot so a lot of the things you were saying there like instrumental music and then one of the bands you said reminded me of the band explosions in the sky have you ever heard of that band i remember discovering them in like high school, they were like my moody high school band, you know, just all instrumental, really intense instrumentals, though. If you've ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights, they did the soundtrack for that uh, or for some of the songs on that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, that's what I would recommend. But I don't have any any like specific albums off the top of my head. Music's great, though. I don't listen to music while I ride uh, only because. I don't have those headphones that let you hear what's going on around you at the same time, which I would like to have if I was going to do that only because I skate in the street. Like I don't have trails. Right. So it's really important for me to hear what's going on. Yeah. I love music. So people in the, in the comments section, you know, do your thing, give your suggestion of uh, your favorite artists or albums or music. Yeah. We'll get a nice, Ooh, we'll make a playlist. It'll be the distance skateboarding playlist. Yeah, I definitely want to see other people's um, motivation for music and what what powers them in their darkest of hours. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That is excellent. the uh, The music music thing is fun. It would be nice. We talked a lot about ultra, but we're going to talk about it some more. You, you know how the music plays at Ultra Skate, and it's like it's. I don't want to say it's bad because it's music taste is subjective, but it might not be the best for ultra skate. Like what if we had all those albums you, you recommended like the instrumental music just playing, you know, 
I mean, if you I'm want, if you want me give, give me the aux cord and uh, have me be DJ, <laughs> I would love to pass you the aux cord at, at Ultra. Um, I, I would actually probably rather give it to Clark Blumenstein. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Only because he could really hold it down, and I know you're going to be skating the whole time. So, um, my only gripe uh, for Ultra Skate in terms of the music was uh, how loud it was. Yeah. That's fair. In, in those times where uh, I was on the sideline, kind of uh, reeling back my energy, I had a hard time uh, regaining focus just because of how loud the music was. I think that was uh, <laughs> They do I'm turn very, it off at a certain point, but even then it's just like, th- then it gets so quiet, you just fall asleep if you're on the sidelines. <laughs> uh, it was a little too much uh, too loud for me this year. Yeah. You know, who knows what the, uh, what the best formula is for that. Mm-hmm. But that, is that where we're going to see you next is ultra skate? Yeah. Um, you know, come, come see me in, in Phoenix. If you're in the area. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hope and I, we're going to be living there just for the winter. So I'm excited to, uh, to train in non Pacific Northwest, uh, winter weather. So it's going to be amazing. It, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know anything about Phoenix or Arizona quite yet, but I'm excited uh, for more uh, comfortable riding conditions. Um, but probably the next event you'll see me at will be at Ultra Skate. And hopefully uh, as time goes on, I'll be able to uh, afford more uh, trips to, to other locations. Yeah. So I guess if you are in the area, Arizona, Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona area, Angel, wh- where can they reach you? Social media, wh- what's the best way yeah. to get in touch? Um, right now, uh, hit me up on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most active, even though uh, I don't post a lot. You can still reach out to me. I'll still love to chat and uh, talk at uh, mm-hmm. the dude with the loot. Yeah. Or if you want, if, if I'm able to, uh, uh, do this in time, um, um, Angelito skates. Oh, cool. Um, I like that. So that's going to be a skateboarding centered Instagram account. Uh, it's going to be still a me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm still very much like, a. A non-social media uh, frequent user. That mm-hmm. if you look at my account right now, it's mainly my skate, and I don't I don't really do much else for social media. So it'll still be me, but I think with the better attention-grabbing name of oh, this guy skates, uh-huh. not <laughs> yeah. not like. The mysterious, like, oh, so you have a Lou or like this, like, yeah, yeah. like where, where, where is your name come into this? No, that's a great point. It's nice to have the the name kind of be more in line with the content you're putting out. Yeah. Social and media is uh, hard, though. Yeah, that's like my name, but like Mexicanized with the with the Ito. Uh-huh. Angelito. Yeah. You know. Cool. So, yeah, I'll... I'll have that, you know, whatever one, if you have that up, I'll have that in the description. Yeah. People can With, reach out. 
with uh, my skate versary happening on October 10th, I'll probably do something around that time. Oh yeah, that's coming up in like three days. Yeah, I know right. it, snuck, I, uh, it snuck on me too. I was like, "Holy moly!" I, I guess I've uh, been doing this for quite some time. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Eight years. Holy moly! Eight years. When people always ask me, it's like, "Oh, how long have you been skating?" I was just like, "I don't know, four, or five years." But it's been it's been eight years. You're a skateboarder. <laughs> awesome well hey uh i really appreciate you coming on the show taking yeah. the time out of your morning talking about training talking about a lot of fun stuff here i think a lot of people probably learned from from what you said and i appreciate you offering yourself as a resource in this yeah the whole good. fuel question is really tough it's really tricky and like where do you start you know so thanks for coming yeah. on even myself, I'm still learning. I'm, I still haven't gotten the full grasp of nutrition and fuel. So I'm, I'm still educating myself with that. But yeah, thanks yeah. For, for having me on. I, I'm truly honored. It's been great. Thank you so much.